Drake Bell, Dylan and Cole Sprouse, Steve Burns, that's Steve from Blue's Clues, obviously. Those are just some of the names that didn't make it into our top 10 TV performances of all time lists. So, yeah, the lists are that good. Sam Hensel, an old friend of mine, a friend of mine from university. That I don't, I don't know what accent that was. A friend I went to school with, he watches just as much TV as I do, and we went at it with our lists. We each came up with the top 10 TV performances of all time. We ran through it in this mega-sized podcast, which we are running this week to make up for the 4th of July holiday last week. So check it out. I'll keep the intro short so that you can uh, devote your time to the good stuff. There's lots of clips, opinions, takes, all kinds of stuff. Opinions and takes are pretty similar, probably. Shut up, car! Anyway, check it out. It's a lot of fun. Go send us your own top 10 TV performances of all time lists. Uh, Rate us on iTunes. Five stars. Give us a review. Not enough people do this, but uh, if you do, that's how more people find the podcast. And we get better and better guests like Michelle Schubert from Survivor and Sunday Burkwest from Survivor. We actually might have more Survivor guests coming soon. Don't tell anybody. Anyway. Enjoy this. Uh, Sam's great. It's a lot of fun. So yeah, let's get right to it. That's all I got to say. Enjoy the show. Foxworthy podcast. I'm going to start throwing different podcast names in here. It's because Brian's barely ever here. But Brian was here last week or two weeks ago when we did this and it was fun and we talked about all kinds of stuff. You can go listen to that. We talked about Dear Evan Hansen and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But now we're here for <laughs> we're here for the third attempt at me and and I'm Taylor Gaines, by the way, for anyone who hasn't listened before. Me and future podcast star Sam Hensel just doing a podcast. We recorded two entire Leftovers podcasts, and hopefully I won't be saying this into thin air, and we'll never actually (laughs) hear this podcast either. But we recorded two great Leftovers finale podcasts that would have really wrapped a bow on it for everyone and helped it make sense to everyone in the world, but unfortunately those didn't make it out. That's okay. This is the one that matters. This is is more important. No one wants to hear our thoughts on on a lost show. Um, a lost show. A lost show. Lowercase <laughs> O. Lost. Yeah. Yeah. I teased this. I put out a little preview episode for this, but we're gonna be doing our top ten TV performances of all time. And who doesn't love lists? And who doesn't love top tens? So this is gonna be super fun. Or TV performances. <laughs> or the or those. I, <laughs> I mainly I was just interested in making the list. I haven't seen any of these shows. Yeah. I'll tell the rules. We made really loose rules i mean it's all made up anyway but i believe our main rules were you can't have two people from the same show and right. you have to have at least five women just kidding I don't oh my gosh do i nope i do not no I, I think that was the only rule was there any other rule oh the show doesn't have to be over the show just had to be on for oh like, yeah a originally originally we're gonna do two seasons but then there there are shorter shows Actually, I think all of mine lasted longer than two seasons. Uh, I might have one on here that was a solo 
effort. Oh, yeah. But a one man show. <laughs> one man show. That's one way to put it. But last yeah, man. It's... It was a fourth and last man on earth. <laughs> well, spoiler alert: he's not the only one on earth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw. That. I I I watch that show from afar, and by afar I mean the commercials that come on before Brooklyn Nine Nine for that show. <laughs> and if I've learned anything, it is he is certainly not the last man on earth. He wasn't the only person on Earth for a long time, and now I'm pretty sure there's, like, several people. I watched the first season and a half of that show. He was only the last man on Earth for one episode, so really didn't live up to the premise. Yeah, really got away from their name. I guess we should just get into this. I don't know. Yeah. We're going to go 10 to 1. We'll do some honorable mentions after, but we we literally haven't told each other anything about these lists because nope. we have a petty, childish thing where we just don't want each other to know for some reason. Let's just get into it. Who should do number 10 first? Um, I'll go ahead and do number 10 first. I think that... Can I just say, I just noticed that you're wearing a, a, a John... A, a jo- Jonah Ryan. John H. Ryan. For, <laughs> yeah. A Jonah Ryan for Congress t-shirt. He, he, I'll tell you, he didn't make my list, although he... He did not make my list, either. I think anyone on that show could have. I, you probably can't see it. I'm wearing my, my depressed horse shirt. It's different so we're, from Bojack. We're all, set for, we're all set for a TV talk. <laughs> yeah. We're literally um, wearing costumes, <laughs> really getting into the, to the visual part of this podcast. I think that's where the biggest sell comes from. So I went. I, I, dug, I dug a little bit into the vault here. I went a little older, a little old school. Mm. Circa 2001, I think. I think you're still trying to delay saying it. <laughs> I will say, for those at home, I did not finish my list until five minutes ago. And that's not from not thinking about it, but from... Not wanting to decide or settle on this. I spent my entire lunch break on this today, so... I spent... I, I just... For the past two days since I woke up to the text that said, let's do a, a top ten performance. <laughs> Dude, this is a little inside baseball for those listeners. This is how it works. I get a text that said, let's do top ten best TV performances of all time. And I just haven't stopped thinking about it since then. It's only a matter of literally writing it down. That was difficult in choosing ten. Sorry, you're okay. going to tell us <laughs> anybody on your list. <laughs> <laughs> I went with a with a personal uh, a personal one here. I feel like that's what the number the ten TV... spot is for. Yeah, yeah. As I, I listened to your uh, top ten shows of the year podcast, and that's what you you ended up going with Supergirl. Which if she is on this list, I'll freaking <laughs> I'll be happy for you. I won't tell um, you if she is or not. <laughs> I appreciate that. Number ten, the first woman for me on my list <laughs> is from a show called Malcolm in the Middle, and her name is Lois. If you boys behave until Christmas morning, there will be a Christmas morning. Otherwise, these are going back to the store, and Christmas will be canceled. The mother, this woman, actress, what's Jane Cash's Kaz- name? Jane Jane Kashmirik. Uh You would know her from. I actually nothing. I have no idea what else she's in. <laughs> she's in Malcolm in the Middle. She's in Pleasantville. Chips. I'm gonna show Chips. She's the parents. She's the mother. She is, she was my mother growing up. She was extremely frantic. Not, not that my mother was this way, but I felt, I could feel it. She was extremely frantic, extremely controlling, short tempered, always on edge, always made me on edge, extremely stressed. She was, she was Winona Ryder in Stranger Things. I'm sure your mother would love the way you're describing her. <laughs> She was Winona Ryder in Stranger Things 15 years before Stranger Things came out, and with less children getting kidnapped. She was just constantly going a thousand. So Always. you're saying she was like your mother, not that 
instead of having your mother on, you actually just watched Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> yeah, she's a surrogate. She's a surrogate. Learned but everything she, you know about it was, motherhood. It, Malcolm in the Middle, which is, I stand by this, Brian Cranston's best performance was in Malcolm in the Middle as the, ha- as the dad how. Um, the mother, however, Lois, played by Jane Kismarek, was just... She just went all in. I don't you're know how else to describe it. You got a loss for words. I grew up with. And it was someone I like, like, I cringe a little bit thinking about her busting into the room and screaming at me for something. It was the ultimate, if you lived in a, in a middle class white suburban family in the early 2000s, you had this mother. This person was your mother. She was the archetype of moms. And she destroyed that part. I'm just glad that we had someone here to give the Brian Cranston hot take. Yeah, it's, it needs to be had in every in every Brian Cranston conversation. Especially because not only are you saying that his performance in Malcolm Middle is better than Breaking Bad, you're putting her on the list instead of him. So you're saying that like it's like several layers. It's a yes, it's a fairly direct way of saying that this woman who you've not heard of before is hands down a better performance than Walter White in Breaking Bad. And also, this is my, my first honorable mention actually. Is Frankie Muniz playing Malcolm in the Middle? One of our one of our best, most beloved child stars. Did you watch Malcolm in the Middle? I was in the not day? a Malcolm in the Middle person actually. I, I've seen it before, but I was never. Uh, I never binged it on Netflix, and my family never had it on when I was growing up. So I have almost no uh, cultural reference for this. Yeah, it's one of the most important shows that we have. We talked about leftovers for four hours, but <laughs> not one second. I'm not in the middle. It needs to happen at some point. Well, we've we've plenty we've we've plenty spenty of time on this. Is what I was gonna say. Plenty spenty. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you my number ten. Yeah, why don't you do that? My number ten is a personal favorite of ours. I don't know if he made your list, and this was between two people for me, but I'll save the other guy for later. But I put Bokeem Woodbine season two Fargo. And isn't that a minor miracle? state of the world today and the level of conflict and misunderstanding that two men could stand on a lonely road in winter and talk calmly and rationally while all around them people were losing their mind he did not make my list ah mike milligan man mike milligan I've never seen him in anything else. I'm sure I'll never see him in anything else in the future either. But and that would be enough. This is all I ever need. I don't even. This is this was one of those roles that you you just he was born to play. I guess it's one of those ones you just dream of right. having your entire life. I assume if you're an was, actor, I don't know it, what that's like. It was a it was a character on TV. I had no idea I was missing so much until I saw it. And this it was, is gonna this is gonna do him a disservice. Because it's so much, it's so great. But he's sort of just one of those characters who can go on a ten-minute monologue about something completely random and intimidate the hell out of you somehow, right. and also make it really funny and and compelling. He's extremely he, charming. Yeah. God, he was just the best. He, his fate was so unfair at the end of Fargo. Spoiler alert. Yeah. God, just ended but up brilliant. trapped in that office. But I had to get him on the list because I'm a, I'm a big fan of people who talk a lot and have like beautiful weird monologue Faces. You'll, see, you'll, uh, you'll, probably, you'll see that at least a couple more times on here i think Ooh, okay so what's your number nine yeah he did not make my list he also i figured if we if i say somebody if my number nine is someone that you have a number five or something you will out your number five at that point 
Well, right. I, I, I might not out the exact it's, number. It's in the future. It's coming yeah, in the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not have Bokeem on there, and that that, that calls to attention my, my second honorable mention, <laughs> who is also in an FX limited series uh, playing a larger-than-life role, which is... Courtney B. Vance. That's as, what I was talking about a second ago. Yeah, that was a that was a hard one to cross off the list. He would have been Bookie would have gone like sixteen for me, I think. Mm. We should have done top sixteen. We should have just done top sixty four, probably. Yeah, seriously. And just done a tournament bracket out of it. Oh I, I will admit what I've been doing at work recently is I'm trying to find out what my favorite song is. And so I got to get I made a playlist on Spotify of four hundred and forty eight songs. <laughs> and then I did a four Four NCAA-style 64 team brackets. So that's 256 spots. And then I had, for each of those brackets, I had 64 play-in games. So I'm not done yet. It's taking me forever. Your job sounds really great. (laughs) The thing is, I I do videos. I I edit the video and I hit render, and it takes like two hours. So I sit there and I do nothing for like really long periods of time. So recently I've been doing that. I had six categories to, to seed them. And we can get into that later. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that's all. It's not not only that you had to have to actually go through that. The fact that you went through and seeded them yeah. must have taken just forever. I had six categories based on you got points for how many plays on Spotify they have, how what band they're in, what affected it in both a positive and a negative way. Um, because I had a previous tournament where I tried to rank my favorite band. So I said if you remember if your song comes from a band that was seeded well, then you get better points, and if you for, oh from God. first one, you get less points. And there's a separate category this where... way off track. <laughs> <laughs> it's important. There's a second category where if you are in a band, if there's a bunch of songs from a band, like Glass Animals have like 15 songs, and each of those songs get penalized because there's so many of them. And then I did Arbitration, which is just, I just threw points at Wait, random songs. penalized for having more songs? Yes. It kind of like lowers your chances. So that bands, it, the smaller businesses get greater opportunity, basically. Mm. And then they were ranked one to four, one to 448, and then the bottom 256 were have to had to do play-ins to get into the to the 64. I don't anyway, think, for nine. <laughs> I don't think I don't think anyone would want to hear my version of that bracket. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, having been in the car while you listen to music, I I couldn't help but agree. I did have one Blink 182 song in there. So you're saying you're saying the final four of Fall Out Boy, Panic at the Disco, Kanye West, and Maroon 5 would not be appealing to. <laughs> I'll go people. for Kanye West. Well, I, we I already know Runaway is going to win my entire bracket, so. Yeah. Yes. Okay, no, let's just go to number nine. <laughs> uh, I'm pretty sure you have this person on your list. I will say the vast majority of characters on my list come from 30-minute comedies. Um, I figured they would. Is no exception. I have Leslie P. Nope from our local Pawnee government of Parks and Recreation as mine. I will give that one away because it's very soon. I have her at number eight. I felt like you should know that I'm awesome and you're lucky to have me. And um, I think our first date tomorrow is going to go awesome, off the charts. Um, amazing, up top. All right, let's do this, bitch. I'm not scared. Can I come and sit down for a little bit? Because I walked here because the drinking. I don't know. I do know. I'm coming inside, so move, okay? You make a better door than a guy. I thought about Swanson for a hot minute, but... I figured yeah. he just does one thing over and over. I mean, it's great. He's the best, but she carries the show. She's the uh, she's the lead. <laughs> she's the yeah. She buries the load. She's also transforms very quickly early on in the show, which I think is a magnificent performance by her. It's so hard to do. 
Yeah, that's one of, char- one of the brilliant things people always talk about when they talk about Parks and Rec. I think The Office is similar where there's right. sort of a miscalibration at the outset where Michael Scott is too stupid or Amy Poehler yeah, is too unlikable. unlikable. Too yeah. And they make like these slight adjustments to make the show great. And I mean, that's what makes those guys brilliant. The Mike Schurz and Dan Gores and all them. She uh, is great. <laughs> And the sh- Parks and Rec is probably the only show I've ever truly binged, as as in like I watched the entire thing in like a week. So yeah. I had I still have a soft spot in my heart for a lot of people on this show. She's the queen of it all. I mean, just honestly, the Ron and Leslie episode is the one I think about when I think about the performances season. in this show. She plays someone so subtly funny, surprisingly so, but so, subtly funny in a lot of ways, and extremely talented, and always highest energy she plays someone with cartoonish amount of energy energy and a, a cartoonish amount of dedication and yet still sincerity and truthfulness and thoughtfulness about her that is like you and and some of these best ones you wonder how much of those is just amy poehler being amy poehler yeah but with a with a character like leslie you know that it's basically physically impossible to to go as to go as leslie as she does and she's one so, of those people who when you think about it in retrospect, you're like, she was pretty good on that show, right? And then you like watch an episode and you're like, oh, she's actually just great on she's this. She's brilliant, especially with a show that to me was a was was NBC trying to to recreate The Office. Oh, it definitely was at first. Right, and they got, I mean, they got Mike Schur and they got Rashida Jones, which was the worst, the most boring part of The Office. And Mark Brandanowitz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Brandanowitz who was garbage, and they just made all the right adjustments. And this is a lot of. Mike Schur and the and the people that make Parks and Recreation, but they that they were able to channel it into something truly amazing. But yeah, we could have a different argument could... on a different day, and I, I'll just move on from this because I don't want to get into this, <laughs> especially with you. But we could have a different argument about whether Parks and Rec ended up being better than The Office. At least, in, yeah. in my mind, you can. I don't. I know that. Yeah, I know. Oh, I. What's? Well, I'm. I'm a reasonable man. <laughs> I, I could have the discussion. I would hear the argument that that Parks and Rec is better than The Office, and then I'll counter it correctly by saying that it is not. What was your number nine? (laughs) (laughs) We'll save that for later. Uh, My number nine is Walton Goggins on Justified. He plays Boyd Crowder, which I'm pretty sure this is one of the few shows I have on here that you have not seen. Um, I've seen one episode, and he was in it. Oh, this ain't a bribe, Billy. It's a gift. Well, as you well know, Mr. Crowder, this church no longer accepts donations. Well, this gift ain't to the church. It's to the congregation. And it ain't money, it's knowledge. knowledge. Now this here, in this box, is a genuine canebrake rattler pulled this very day from a rock crevice alongside the Cumberland River. Which is how I know your sister hadn't had a chance to milk it like she has all these other snakes. Once again, Mr. Crowder, I am amazed at the ease with which lies trip from your fort tongue. Well, if I'm lying, you won't mind taking a hold of this bad boy. Yeah, he he is similar to Bokeem Woodbine, except that he got to do it for like six seasons. He's one of those people who just gets to do like Tarantino-esque monologues over and over again. And well, I, I should I should give credit where credit's due. They're Elmore Leonard-esque monologues because that's what Justified's based off of. But he's a lot of fun. I mean, if if you've never seen the show, I would. Uh, I suppose I'd recommend Googling him in his scene with the pastor at the 
tent church. I don't know how you would find it necessarily searching it because I'm just <laughs> trying to remember what it is. So I should type into YouTube Walton Goggins pastor at tent church. It might come up, honestly. Just I don't know. But that show's on Amazon Prime and I love it. And it, the dialogue, it's, I think word for word, it's like my favorite, most well-written show as far as snappy dialogue and just fun dialogue goes. Wow. But I put him number nine. And, and people I'm sure have seen him in, uh, what? Uh, Vice Principals. Uh, Django. He's, he's been in some movies. Vice Principals. Yeah. I will say I don't have any Vice Principals characters on my list, unfortunately. I... Yeah, that wasn't close for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I thought for a second you were gonna you were gonna tell me you were gonna yeah. tell me Shea Wiggum made your list. <laughs> I mean, if anybody from that show did, <laughs> it, it would be Shea Wiggum. <laughs> but uh, and I just mentioned my number eight was Amy Poehler. So who was your number oh, yeah. eight? My number eight was a truly multifaceted two-headed dragon, and also my. Biggest turnaround on a show that I've ever made. I love how long you take to get to the names. <laughs> it's because, honestly, I'm sincerely considering backing out of every single one that I'm... That I, <laughs> part of it is stalling, and part of it is just me um, talking myself into it. Do I really want to do this? Number eight, played by the wonderfully talented Zach Galifianakis. The characters of Chip and Dale Basket on the TV show Basket. Martha told me that you found out about our little uh, sex romp in the van. Can I take your order? And you know, you're my brother, and I wanted to come to you and let you know that I love Martha, okay? No, you don't. I do. I love her. I do. She makes me feel alive. No, she doesn't. She does. And I don't care who knows it. I don't care who knows it, Arby's. She makes me feel alive. Is there a problem here? Uh, just an ordinary customer, sir. I'm trying to figure it out here. I found a, a dead sea turtle in my curly fries. That's not true, sir. That's not true. But it's okay. This young gentleman helped me out. Very helpful. I don't know if you give bonuses, but he deserves one. Unfortunately, we don't actually give bonuses, but we do have a very competitive wage increase for employees who stick around. Oh, that's good to know. I'm crazy about her, okay? Because she excites me. She gets my loins craving for her loins. Do you understand what that's like? Look, Martha is my friend, okay? She was my friend first. You stay away from her. I'm an artist, too, inside. You know that? I may be a little bit jealous watching you in your life running around with all kinds of women going off to Europe, painting your face up like a clown. That looks like fun. Do I look like I'm having fun here? You think I'm having fun sitting at home being world's greatest dad? That's not any fun. So guess what? I'm moving in with you and Mama. This is a... This, <laughs> if you haven't seen a show, <clears throat> the general premise is that, that Galfnacus, a.k.a. Chip, I think, or Dale, Dale Baskets, um, is a is a clown a Chip traditional is a clown a friend yeah Chip's a clown yeah Dale's Dale Baskins ah. Community College come on <laughs> yeah, I know that. Um, is a clown who is trained in France and came back to America to be a professional clown and the only job he'd get was at a rodeo making next to nothing he lives with his mother played by Louis Anderson large man. And his also, some, brother. Also some, another great performance on that show, I would argue. That is on my. That is also on my honorable mention list, and it's also someone I've come around on too. Because when we when I was first watching the show, I said Louis Anderson is the worst actor I've ever seen in my life. God, and the second I don't, season, he turned up. He turned I'll, I'll, up. I'll let you finish, but the the second season of that show was turnaround for me on that show also, where the first season I was just depressed to watch it all the time. Yes, and the second too. season, I was like, "This might be one of the best shows on TV, it's really, actually." And it's the mo- and it's like extremely emotionally enticing, and grabbing, and 
you find yourself halfway through an episode feeling a lot for these characters who who set themselves up in the silliest possible ways. I mean, he's a clown and he works at a rodeo, and it's the most the show is the most inside Zach Galifianakis's head we've ever been before. And have if you, you thought have, of it, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Have you thought of the show as being like like? Do you think Zach Galifianakis thinks that people view him as a clown because he made his name in the Hangover movies and he's like, I'm not just a clown, I'm brilliant. It could be that, but part of me, and that's the thing about Zach Galifianakis is that it, it could absolutely be that, but could it also be he legitimately thinks this is a funny idea for a show. And like he's like, wouldn't it be funny if... And this show's very much in the vein of the BoJack, uh, Rick and Morty, yes. like sort of sad com type shows that but, have been popular yes. the last couple of years. And both of those are fantastic shows, but this... I think it sets itself sets itself apart as being a more sincere show. Yeah. If that makes and not just about like sincerity about our faults kind of stuff, but actually like there's hope and optimism and light in the show. It's just after you hang out with homeless people and who crash people's houses and eat snacks uh, for a couple episodes. Yeah, and, that the yeah. first episode of Basket season two, I would almost if you don't feel like catching up on the show for some reason, they're pretty short episodes. I would almost recommend just start with beginning of season two because I think the first episode is it's like the best it's the best movie I've seen this year basically yeah yeah it's a film it's brilliant and anyway all that is to say that I think a lot of it comes from Zach Galifianakis's head but he also plays two characters who are who interact with each other a lot and uh, he plays Chip which is most like him uh, the clown and he also plays Dale which is if you watch any of his stand-up comedy especially live at the Purple Onion it used to be on Netflix it might still be there he played he's been workshopping this other character forever and it's his, his twin oh, really? brother yeah his twin brother Seth Galifianakis and he's been doing it forever and it's been a hilarious gag but the fact that he's given him like agency and a sort of depth to him and much the fact that he's fully exploring too, yeah. this much more in the second season yeah um, you know they filmed that by by cloning him like prestige style, like Bowie cloned Zach Galifianakis, and then yeah, every yeah, there's like a million bodies floating in a, <laughs> in a, in a tank under the floor of the rodeo. <laughs> Spoiler alert yeah, for the really prestige. controversial, but I mean, Netflix has the money for it, so they might as well just kind of let it happen. That's, I, a, that's a crazy choice. I mean, that's a cool choice. I, yeah. I've, that's just, that show, that act, that show has actually been on for such a short amount of time that I didn't even think about it when I was making this. Right. It was one of the first things that popped in my head, and it wasn't until it wasn't until you texted me before this, and you're like, I just love making this list my own, and I was like, freaking, I'm ready to ride or die for baskets. It was on my top ten, or it's already in my top ten for 2017 or whatever season oh, two yeah. was. This is mine. Mine's definitely in contention for that early halfway through the year here for sure. This yeah. is probably a good time to point out that I called this list the top ten TV performances of all time, but it might be lacking in a lot of well-known shows that are considered yeah. prestige TV just because I haven't seen yeah. them. So right. bear that I will in say, mind, maybe. Not, there's a caveat, the little asterisk here, is that I've not seen The Wire. I've not seen Sopranos. I've not seen Cheers. <laughs> <laughs> so I do not have Ted Danson on my list anywhere. Okay, okay. so we're on seven. Why don't you go first <laughs> on seven? Yeah, this is just pithy. My number seven is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. The new votes are tilting heavily toward O'Brien. Apparently most of them are military absentees. Of course, Fort Dutton, it all makes sense. No, 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 that doesn't make any sense. Nevada is my state. 
I'm going to be president. I'm going to be the first elected lady president. I'm going to have a lovely inauguration. Billy Joel is going to sing. So you guys have to stop the recount. I'm sorry, what? Stop the count. Right. Shut up, Gary. Ma'am, we can't. I don't care. The train has very publicly left the station uh, and derailed at high speed. No, yeah, stop the count. Ma'am, this would look like a size 14 flip-flop. We really can't. I don't give a you're going to cancel this recount like Anne Frank's bat mitzvah. Yeah, I'm on it. But I think the DJ already spent the deposit. I'm, I'm on it, right? Yeah, Amy. Yeah. I'm tired of losing things! I decided to do Julia Louis-Dreyfus on Veep and not Seinfeld. Okay. okay. Mainly because she's the main character on Veep. And she's better on Veep. That's probably true, too. I, I just am amazed at the fact that she has had two, perf- like, Two roles that are roles of a lifetime and crushed both of them. You mean uh, Selena Meyer and uh, New Adventures of Old Christine? <laughs> yeah. Make that three, I guess, because <laughs> like I forgot all about that. was a successful that. show, yeah. <laughs> no, that was a successful show for sure. I mean, it wasn't the same as Selena I mean, Meyer and Veeb. Yeah. Wait, let me say this. She's on my list, too. Do you want to wait until then, or do you want to do uh, it now? So this is where I'm going to point out that before we started, we each guessed the three people that were in the other person's top three and i put her in your top three (laughs) for my guessing thing so i'm just gonna say don't bring her up until until you get to her i i just want to say i think you're wearing the jonah ryan shirt right now you could have put (laughs) you my whole list could have been 10 actors from veep (laughs) yeah it would have been fine and that was actually i was waiting until the first selena meyer came up to say that my next list of honorable mentions is a is a holy trinity of Jonah Ryan. Uh, oh shoot, there's too many. I was going to say Jonah Ryan, Gary Walsh, and Mike McClintock. But as I was saying that, I was thinking of um, Kent Davidson, and I was thinking of Kevin Dunn's character Ben, and I was thinking of Richard Split. <laughs> and each character, I, I forgot Dan somebody, Egan too. And Dan, well, yeah, Dan, Dan and Amy are great, but they like I'm talking about. I'm talking about upper crust, top one percent of act. If there was no, if there was no, you could only choose one person from each show list. I would have ten people, and they'd all be for Veep. Veep, just if you're not watching Veep, just watch Veep already. God. Yeah, I'm sick of saying it, people. It's come on this podcast all the time. All I say is watch Veep and baskets. That's all I care about. <laughs> and talk for four hours about the leftovers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who's your number seven? My number seven is from a show that I'm pretty sure you did not watch, but is worthy of your time. It's also a flash to the early 2000s. It's when called The New TV. Adventures of Old Christine. It's called <laughs> <laughs> my top. You, 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 you got my top three right. It is Selena Meyer, this freaking whatever she played, Elaine, and <laughs> New Adventures, um, and the guest spot she did in Kirby Enthusiasm as Julie Lee Dreyfus. I have um, another early 2000s piece when Taylor is not watching TV. You may know her from... A little show called Crap. <laughs> that's and that's exactly how good she was in the show because you can't remember anything she's done since. But I'm talking about Kristen Bell and Veronica Mars. Then I have something to admit. I love unicorns. What, Dad? Girls are crazy about unicorns. Which is a show I did not know about until she plays Veronica Mars in the show Veronica Mars. It's a show I did not know about until uh, Benny showed it to me a couple like a year ago. And Benny is Sam's dog. 
Then he's, yeah. <laughs> Change the channel. I was like, wow, Veronica Mars. Uh, and so she, she, this is Kristen Bell playing a high schooler. I'm sure she's like 25 when she's doing it. But she's playing a high schooler who investigates crimes for like a living or something. But as as a high schooler in high school investigating other high school crimes. And it's oddly riveting and oddly thoughtful and, and considering of of class and race issues and gender issues. And she just kills the show. She's so good at it. She's so confident and comfortable as a kind of sassy high school sleuth and extremely sympathetic, empathetic character who... I don't know. If I watched the show in 2000, I'd say this is the best act. This is the actress of our generation. I love that choice. I I haven't seen that show, but, and I should say good play, the good place, the new Mike Schur show. I count that, (laughs) I count that as 2017 since it didn't end till 2017. Yeah. So it's going on your list. The ending is such an important part of it. Yeah. But I was just going to say that just seeing her on that show, uh, gives me enough of a sense that she's probably great on a, on a different show. (laughs) Right. And so. this and this is a show I mean, she has the same amount of weight to carry in this original show, but she's not supported by as much talent in the in Veronica Mars. And it's so two thousand three. I mean they got yeah. flip phones and green tint on everything and the show is a bunch of fun. And then you get like four episodes in, and you're like, Man, I really care what happens to these people and it's all because Kristen Bell is making me. I should mention too, since we're talking about the good place, I think if we were recording this podcast at a point where the good place was on for like five seasons and was really good Ted yeah. Danson would probably be on my list for the good yeah. place. <laughs> I just seriously, God, he's. I'm not going to spoil the good place for those who haven't seen it, but he has a scene in the last episode that I just, I like, have nightmares about, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're not in on Ted Danson yet, you will be after. <laughs> yeah, just this wait. young, this young new guy, Ted Danson. Just you wait. Crashing onto the scene. Once again, I've not seen Cheers. So. <laughs> let me point so that out again. To... I have not yes, let me make it. Let me make it clear. So I've tried really hard to fight recency bias with my list, but you can only do so much. You uh, can only try. So. My number six is someone that we spent several hours talking about that no one will ever hear. <laughs> I put Carrie Coon from The Leftovers at number six. Do you remember when we were kids? After mom and dad died, when? Everyone at the church wouldn't take their eyes off us. They'd take us to the movies and bowling and putt-putt just to keep us busy. Of course I do. And this one time they brought us to a baseball game and I was too young to get the rules, so I, I watched these people in another section hitting a beach ball. And the whole stadium was getting into it. And When the ball came over to our seats, you stood up and you just whacked it. It was the first time I'd seen you smile in forever. But then the ball went into the aisle. And this usher ran down and grabbed it and he he picked it up. And he just squeezed the air out of it. And then everyone started booing. Not just the people in our section, but the whole stadium. Booming. He just ruined it for all of them. They just wanted to hit the ball. I wish I could just say, go listen to the Leftovers podcast and you'll know why. But Yeah, I mean, take it out of the air. 
And I don't want to do the leftovers conversation again, but she embodies, I think, everything that's great about that show. The search for meaning that it encapsulates and the the way that she tries to hold on to her grief as the woman whose entire family disappeared on the day of the sudden departure. I'm not going to describe the leftovers to people. It's too much. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lion sex boat. There's a kidnapped baby Jesus from a nativity scene. There's everything fun you could possibly want in apocalypse shows. There's like full underworld episodes. I mean, yeah, there's it's everything. Few, more than one underworld episode <laughs> it's every, in different seasons. It's everything and more. But she's the beating heart of it, to steal a phrase from a different podcast. She like really just drives the show. And I, I, I've just been so blown away by her. The, the beach ball monologue I think about like every day, <laughs> which is a weird thing to say. But yeah, um, <laughs> she's just great. And I, I couldn't leave her off my list with the show being so recently in my personal rearview mirror so she's number six that's pretty good also good on fargo by the way i've started i was gonna say well i was gonna say i i liked her on leftovers but i loved her on leftovers after i watched fargo that makes Mm -hmm. any sense because i like she's fine on fargo but i didn't realize like i just because the only thing i had known carrie coon for was was leftovers for so long i just got kind of used to it i guess but then seeing her somewhere else like man, what we really what we had with her on leftovers was was something special. It was like when I watched Backstrom after The Office ended, and Rain Wilson was the main character, and it was terrible. Was like man, he was really good on The Office as Dwight. Now that I'm years she's away, not from terrible that. on Fargo though. I think she's pretty good on Fargo. No, she's not. No, that's the thing. That, she's that's just a, brilliant on leftovers. Yeah, exactly. It really because I was I was watching Fargo and I was like, man, she's fine. She's good in this. Even still, it, it pales in comparison to what she did on leftovers. It cracks me up watching her on Fargo trying to use mechanical things like getting the door to open yeah uh, like washing her hands or something uh, um have you done your number six yet you haven't right i have not do you want to? i have <laughs> yes all right what's your number six okay i have a show that i'm not sure if you if you actually did end up watching it it's from it's on comedy central it's called review have you heard of it uh i'm sorry what is it called it's called review it's like like the word review but it's like a show Oh, Forrest McNeil! When I get back from rehab, I'll probably say cocaine is terrible. But don't believe me, cocaine is amazing! I give it a million stars! Do not believe the guy in the studio who tries to tell you it's terrible. That guy is a liar! No, I am not a liar. He is. That was a weak-ass yell. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'll let the people know that you yelled out Twin Peaks during our Leftovers pod, and it, it broke it the mics. Bro- that's, that's what I was going to say. That's what broke the recording. Well, let me yeah, just say, have... you'll be hearing from this one we'll be uh, about... again. Okay. Because yeah, I have seen this show. We've talked about it a lot on this podcast, actually. <laughs> I have um, not been to the podcast. So. I've even written about it back in my Gainesville scene days. So. Oh, man. The scene scene this this that's what they call that's what the locals call it let's just i want to talk so much about this let's just save it for later we'll get we'll come back to it okay 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 um my number five and we might have to come back to this too because you haven't said it yet this should speak to how great this is because i haven't even caught up on this show yet (laughs) but my number five is kyle mclaughlin from twin peaks in 1950 communist china invaded tibet and while leaving the dalai lama nominally in charge they in fact seized control of the entire country 
1959, after a Tibetan uprising against the Chinese, the Dalai Lama was forced to flee to India for his life and has lived in exile ever since. Following a dream I had three years ago, I have become deeply moved by the plight of the Tibetan people and filled with a desire to help them. I also awoke from the same dream, realizing that I had subconsciously gained knowledge of a deductive technique involving mind-body coordination operating hand-in-hand -hand with the deepest level of intuition. Sheriff, Deputy Hawk, if you will please assist me, I will now demonstrate. God, dude, he's so brilliant on this. Uh, is he on your list? Do you want to hear something devastating? He is not on the list. <laughs> and, and, I'll tell you, and I'll tell you what, you haven't seen the third season, and it is exponentially more devastating that he's not on my list oh, if you haven't seen the third God. season. Because I've seen, it is, this, this current season is so, and let me, let, let's just let this be a testament to how much I believe in my, in my ten people here. It is, he is doing something, he's playing a game that we don't know the rules for yet. It's him and it's David Lynch and they're in a room and it's a thousand miles away and it's a thousand years in the future and they're just showing us a live feed and it's so much better than everything we're doing here and we don't even understand it. That's <laughs> See, what that's what comic I haven't Locker even caught up on this show pieces. yet and like I decide I actually I mean I know this isn't an original idea per se but I sure. came up with the idea to do this podcast while I was watching him on Twin Peaks. I was literally watching him do a scene and I was like oh my god, we have to do a top TV performances podcast. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just... I, I mean, the scene I think of the most, because it's the one I've gone back and watched multiple times, is when he's doing, like, the Tibetan deductive reasoning thing, where he has them right. write the names on the board and throw the rock at the bottle. Like, it's the perfect blend of weirdness and Sherlockian deduction and even seriousness. He has a monologue when... Uh, spoiler alert for a show that started 25 years ago. He has a monologue for when the murderer dies in the middle of the second season and he's like holding him in his arms. And the whole monologue, yeah. I was just like, only David Lynch could write that and only Kyle McLaughlin could say yep. that. It was great. I love him. He's, he's yeah. I, I'm really into this. Seasons one and two is he goes from playing someone who is essentially the audience of voice basically when he comes into Twin Peaks and that lasts for, I don't know, 40, 45 minutes. And then he becomes his, his own thing completely. And we are so disjointed from it. And we are so happy to do so where he's doing Tibetan monk detective stuff and he's get, getting shot in, in hotel rooms and he's going into the woods. And, and what he does in season one and two is so great. And he's so charming and almost boyish in a lot of ways. And then what he does in season three is just completely almost I want to say completely different, but it, it fits. I I can't wait. Gosh, wait. I'm, it, it's just like it just turns up. It just turns up. When I catch up on that show, we're gonna come back and talk about yes, it. Yes, because I'm it, gonna want to talk about it. I'm really excited. I'm worried I'm falling further and further behind, but I'm trying. I'm trying to catch up. Yeah, we've had seven episodes so far. Oh man, okay. <laughs> but yeah. there's gonna be well, like they, eighteen. Yeah, there's seventeen. They released the first four, like three weeks ago, all in one night. Mm. And then it was like one after the other, and it goes so fast. That's a great one. I w I'm heartbroken that he's not on my list. I regret. Actually... I knew as soon as we talked about it. I knew as soon as we talked about it, I was gonna regret it. <laughs> I'm like shocked. I I knew your list was gonna be heavily weighted towards comedies, just knowing you for years. Yeah. But I'm a little surprised that he did not make it. Who's, you, who's your number five? To, Should we do a recap? To, to recap, ten was Bokeem Woodbine, Fargo. Nine was Walton Goggins, Justified. Eight was Amy Poehler, Parks and Rec. Seven was Julia Louis-Dreyfus Veep. Six was Carrie Coon, Leftovers. Five was Kyle McLaughlin, Twin Peaks. Okay. 
Mine was 10, Lois from Malcolm Middle, 9, Leslie Nope, 8, Dale and Chip Baskets, 7, Veronica Mars, 6, Forrest McNeil. Great show. Just ended. And number 5, I'm confident you don't have this person, but I'm hoping you'll regret not having it or thinking about it. I have Dennis Reynolds from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'm not sure I understand what's happening. I'm schizophrenic. D. I swear you would be of more use to me if I skinned you and turned your skin into a lampshade or fashioned you into a piece of high-end luggage. I can even add you to my collection. Are you saying that you have a collection of skin luggage? Of course I'm not, Dee. Don't be ridiculous. Think of the smell. You haven't thought of the smell, you bitch! Now you say another word and I swear to God I will dice you into a million little pieces. And I'll tell you what. That's a really good one. (laughs) That one was, that was one of my earlier thoughts too. Because this, there, there's a few shows and and most of them are on my list where sometimes I turn on the TV to watch a very otherwise good cast and I'm just waiting for this character to come on screen. Easily the most extreme person in a very extreme show. The funniest person in a very funny show. And completely unlike the person Glenn Howerton. I follow him on Twitter hoping to get little Dennisisms, little pieces of just weird, strange, off-the-wall myth- Greek mythological humor. But it's just like, he's just like this weird, kind nice quiet guy on twitter and i mean assuming that's what he is like in real life and not like dennis reynolds it must be an amazing actor acting performance that I he's mean, doing i hope he's not like dennis reynolds i actually did not even think about him when i was making this list but he is by far the best part of that show for me right i know some people some of our uh some of our dumber friends might think Charlie Day is the best part of that show. <laughs> so weak-minded. It's the creepiest, funniest performance on anything I've ever seen. Right. And he just gives, and a lot of my characters, and maybe this is just what acting is in general, but he just gives his entire body, his entire mind and soul into every single line that he does. And he does it to where, by the end of every completely unsolicited monologue that he gives... His vein is popping and his face is completely red. And he is just the funniest part of that show, hands oh, down. Did you watch the most I, recent season of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia? I did, yes. So apparently Glenn Howerton might be leaving the show. That's my understanding. Yes, yeah, it appears that way. Spoiler alert, he has a kid. He has <laughs> a, a whole secret state. family. <laughs> a whole secret family. And now he kind of sees, and here's the thing. Here's the thing about Dennis is they kind of leave it to where it's like, man, maybe he wants to, he wants to change his life and go be a good person and take care of his family. But the dentist thing to do would to appear that way the entire time and at the very last second completely give up on it and screw everyone over just so he can make a quick buck or feel good about himself for a second. So I'm hopeful that he'll come back, but it's likely that he will not. Say, it's more behind the scenes than in front of the cameras, it sounds like. Uh, I, there was an interview with him where he kind of sounded like he just wasn't sure because he's busy doing other stuff now. But yeah, there's a lot of seasons of Sunny you can go back and watch. I know. Um, 10 or 11 like that. i think the last one was 12 wasn't it or was it 11 it's something Probably, like that. yeah i should say too as far as the behind the scenes of what went into making this list i what you just mentioned with being excited to see dennis come on the screen that yeah. was a huge factor of how i actually ended up deciding on this list i would just be like okay if i could watch one more scene of right. these characters like if they just wrote one more scene even for these shows that are over, and said, which character do you want to be in this scene? I just tried to think of who I would want to see most desperately. That's uh, a good, that's a good uh, witness tester, uh, that's how, tester. That's how I went about it, sort of. 
I also tried to balance the drama and the comedy a little bit. Is who who could kind of pull off both in their performances? I will say I, this is me trying to balance drama and comedy. And then <laughs> it just happens to be heavy on one side. This is probably the closest I have to not fitting that criteria. Number four here. I'll preface by saying my number four slot wound up being my the Americans slot. Okay. And I was I spent the better part of the day trying to decide whether Carrie Russell or Matthew Reese should be the person that I put here. Because okay. I know you don't watch The Americans, and for some reason a lot of people don't. But they Boring. are both brilliant on this show. And I ended up picking Carrie Russell because I think her performance is more subtle. It happens sometimes, Philip. Can I just... <laughs> I'm going to deal with it. You're going to deal with it? Yeah. If I'd wanted to deal with him, you don't think he'd be dealt with? I wanted the intel, and I got it. Great, I'll be back in an hour. Philip, I don't need you to fight my battles for me. It's over. Just go to bed. Philip! What the hell is wrong with you? Somebody beat the shit out of my wife. I can handle it. It is my job. I know, but you don't deserve it. Philip, stop! You are not my daddy! No, I'm not your daddy. I'm your husband, Elizabeth. What do you think husbands do? I wouldn't know. I have her as your number three, by the way. Oh, close. You were very close. Yeah, I was very close. Yeah, she. her performance is like sort of the steely, hard exterior kind half of the relationship because they're both Russian spies living in America, basically. Sure. And she's less in touch with her emotions than Philip, so he kind of has more opportunity to do big scenes. But I actually mm-hmm. wound up deciding that she's just she's so good in the show at like manipulating people and just being a mom and being a spy and just doing her job. Just just she just does her job, man. Just do her job. Yeah. <laughs> and he's definitely one of my honorable mentions. There's a, there's a scene from season four, I believe, maybe season three, where the two of them like share a joint at their bedroom window <laughs> and just go back and forth and talk for a little while. And it's one of my favorite TV scenes of the last several years i just they're just great and you know i said this about veeb earlier but people really should go watch the americans it's it's got it's got it all it's got okay i'm gonna try to do this stefan thing from snl yeah it's got spies it's got kids it's got wigs it's got tons of deaths got hank sitting on the toilet type potential and breaking bad because the fbi agent lives across the street and he doesn't even know that they're there it's got everything Except maybe directing. It's not, it's not the most visually compelling show. <laughs> You're really selling people, I think. People are going to buy FX subscriptions just so they can watch. Or just go on Amazon Prime. Everything's on there now from FX, I think. Oh, that's good. My catch-up on Terriers. <sighs> that's the show that everyone always says to watch. I've never watched it. Me neither. I really like the guy in it was the dad from Grounded for Life. Did you ever watch that show? Is it the, the guy middle who 2000s. was the, co- the bad cop in Gotham? We do not watch the same TV. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think so. Yeah, the red-haired guy, the guy from uh, the guy from He's an uh, old guy. What's that? What's that movie called? The where Nicolas Cage plays the plays the guy that rides a motorcycle with the flaming skull. What's that movie called? Uh, Ghost Rider. Ghost he plays, Rider. He, he's a guy in Ghost Rider too. Who's your number four? <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's from a TV show called Friday Night Lights. If Jane Kaczmarek was kind of like my mom, then Coach Eric Taylor played by 
the one and only Kyle Chandler from Bloodlines Kyle Chandler is the best father figure on TV other than did maybe you know? Hal. I mean, if anyone knew this, you probably did. They made two more seasons of Bloodline. You mean like other than the first one? Yeah. <laughs> I watched season two. They just put season three up. And this, I'm actually going to take a chance. This is, this is where I'm going to use my opportunity to say that my first, my next, not my first for sure, but my next honorable mention is Ben Mendelsohn Bloodline. Ooh. I, as much as I didn't like Bloodline, that's that's a solid choice. I know you hated Bloodline. I love Bloodline because of how much sweat they have on their t-shirts. That's just so Florida. <laughs> makes me, not living in Florida anymore makes me miss sweaty shirts more than anything. That's one of my that's my top three right there is the shirts on Bloodline. I think it's the most in the place show, and I love it. And Ben Mendelsohn was great. But we're talking about Kyle Chandler in Friday Night Lights. Every man at some point in his life is gonna lose a battle. He's gonna fight and he's gonna lose. But what makes him a man is that in the midst of that battle, he does not lose himself. This game is not over. This battle is not over. So let's hear it one more time. Together. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go! And he plays the head coach of the football team, the town's football team, the Dillon Panthers, and the father of one of the other main characters, Julie Taylor, and the husband of uh, Tammy Taylor, who is the principal. And I don't know what to say. He's charming. He's likable. He's. Would you say it was like seeing your father on TV? It was like seeing. (laughs) Not much like my father, but he is a great father in the show. He's very understanding and commanding and his little facial expressions and way he acts to things and his southern accent and he's so Texas football and as someone who loves football and Kyle Chandler, even going into this, I watched a show called Early Edition in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s. Man, I, was like, I love the idea that like, listen, if you love football and you love Kyle you Chandler, love this is everything you ever dreamed of. If you're looking for a teen drama show and for some reason Veronica Mars doesn't do it for you, Friday Night Lights will. And it's actually the launching point of a lot of people that you would recognize today. Michael B. Jordan got a start there of Creed and uh, Black Panther fame. And The Wire, uh, as far as I've heard. Which, of course, neither of us have seen. <laughs> We're having a conversation about the greatest shows of all time, and we have not seen The Wire. I've always felt like someone's just going to come in and steal my TV card at some point, just for yeah, not having sorry. watched The Wire. I watched The Godfather just for just so I could keep my movie card. I have Don't tell anyone. <laughs> But anyways, Jesse Plemons from Fargo. Mm. Um, Kirsten Dunst from Fargo. Kirsten Dunst is on Fargo, but she's on a Friday Night Lights. Taylor Kitsch. But mm, Kyle Chandler is the one that brings it all together. Yeah, that's right. True Detective. Season 2, the best season of TV. <laughs> oh, die. that's another uh, honorable mention for me is Russ Cole from Season 1. I actually completely forgot about that performance, even though it launched the McConaissance all on its own. <laughs> yeah, the Lincoln commercials. It retroactively made Lincoln Lawyer and Dazed and Confused. Lincoln Lawyer, written by Michael Connolly, graduate of University of Florida. Met him. Get out of here. What a plug. Yeah. Could, could go buy his book. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, go to the University of Florida. If you're a high school student, you haven't applied to schools yet. <laughs> okay. We're into the top three here as as hard as, we, yeah. as hard of a time as we've had staying focused on it. And you haven't said any of the three people that I have now written down. Okay. So I'm not sure I'm going to have the order right, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to spoil your whole top three if you want me to. <laughs> I want you to guess. Okay, number three is going to be Larry David on Curb. 
Okay. Number two is going to be Julia Louis Dreyfus on Veep, and number one is going to be Michael Scott on The Office. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to talk about each one. So okay. That's good. Well, you're not going to guess my top three. Crap. I'm going to try anyway. If you guess the number three person, I will I will just Venmo you like four hundred dollars. All right. Number three, I have Abigail Spencer Holy on. Holy shit. <laughs> Did I say four so, hundred? That's maybe not what I meant to say. <laughs> uh, so anyway, I have Abigail Spencer on Timeless, of course. <laughs> I want to. I feel like I need to bring like a judge in here now. I, I had a conversation with a different friend today about Rectify and and told him how I decided which person to put on my list. And I know that you might have also been in contact with him, so I'm. I'm you know. I'm, you know why. Do you know what, how I picked Abigail Spencer? Tell me. <laughs> I said, Taylor's favorite shows are Americans and Rectify. <laughs> can I name, off the top of my head, can I name anyone that's an actor on Rectify? I said, only Abigail Spencer. See, I don't know any other names. What actually amazes me, though, is that she's not the lead on the show, so I didn't think... That I know. I was like, what is that guy's name? Uh, his I name's Aiden idea. Young. Also, I'm, I'm, looking at the, I'm looking at IMDb right now, and her name is Amantha. Yeah. Not Amanda, not Samantha. Yeah. Amantha. Amantha. One of the that's best TV characters of all time. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. The worst name. <laughs> but I'll be checking my Venmo tonight. <laughs> Sorry, I don't use Venmo. I use the Cash app. Hashtag Potsay America. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Number two for me, for you, is Mads Mikkelsen on Hannibal. Oh, that's a really good guess, but no. Dang it. He's in my own dimensions. I, it's nice to know you listen to my talk. Yeah, dude. I, I said, what's what's Taylor gonna freaking pick? <laughs> and then my number one is Forrest McNeil. Yeah, so you, you got that one. I alluded that, to that one earlier. So I'm curious what number two is. My number two is Cranston and not from Malcolm in the Middle. Oh. Where's the rest? The money, Skyler. Where is the rest? Skyler. I gave it to Ted. What? You did what? Well, I'm, I had to. For us, for the family. I swear. Walt. You, you gave our money to Pennick. Walt, please, please just hear me out. Please. Uh, Better Call Saul. No, I put oh, Cranston number two. I'll talk about him real quick because um, I think he's the least interesting one to talk about. Yeah. It's been a while since Breaking Bad ended, and it's been a while since I've watched it. But and and a lot of people say Breaking Bad's the best and Cranston's the best, and it's sort of a generic answer. But like every time I see a YouTube clip from it or or, or just like a scene from it, I'm just like he. Re- this show really was the best. Like, yeah, I feel like we just forget how great Breaking Bad was because it's yeah. been a while and there's so many other great shows now. But yeah. I mean, and it's so popular. And yeah, it's like almost too popular that I feel bad having him on so high on my right. list. But 
the scene like I am the one who knocks and whatever and like my favorite scene is when he finds like that the money's like not in the basement anymore and he's like laughing he's laughing if the camera yeah. zooms out like it's it's really a brilliant brilliant performance and I, I just it's had amazing. To, and not to mention Breaking Bad is one of the funniest shows of our generation so I had to I had to put him on here too that's a great point. He absolutely deserves to be on the list. I did not put him on here for, for the assumption that he was going to be on there somewhere, and I knew we would get to talk about him. He's in my honorable mentions, Yeah. and I wasn't going to put him on there if I couldn't put him on there for Malcolm in the Middle. Um, but in all seriousness, he is revolutionarily good in Breaking Bad. If you haven't watched that show yet, then you probably never will. because I mean, <laughs> yeah, if you, at this point, <laughs> if you've never watched Breaking Bad and you're listening to this podcast, I, <laughs> yeah. welcome, welcome back. Welcome back out of your coma from 1997 or whatever. Um, <laughs> what are podcasts? Let's explain. How did you get here? <laughs> How did you find this? Let me say about Abigail uh, Spencer, too, because the rest of the names are all comedies, yeah. sort of. <laughs> I'm not here to change your mind, Daniel. So you don't have to worry. John wanted me to try. Dear John. And why are you here? Because after you do this, I'm not going to be the same person anymore. And I wanted to be this person with you one more time. Who are you going to be? I don't know. I hope it won't be a bitter person. Me too. You don't want to be exonerated, do you? I didn't just want to get you out, Daniel. I wanted to clear your name. Our name. And you can say that people are going to think what they're going to think, but there is a difference. There is a difference. Then change your name, Amantha. If you go in there and say that you killed Hannah and it's the truth, then so be it. But if you go in there and say that you killed her, just because you don't want to deal with this anymore or play the game or keep fighting the good fight, then you are a coward, Daniel. She plays the sister of Daniel on Rectify, who was in prison for like 20 years for a murder that he ended up... Well, DNA overturned his conviction. Whether he did it or not is sort of the ter- eternal question of the show. It's sort of leftovers like that they're never going to tell you. And maybe they did at the end. I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. It really is irrelevant <laughs> to the show. But for, for the three people who watched Rectify... I ended up picking her over him because she's the most human character on a show full of people that are so human that I can't even grasp it. <laughs> I talked about that before. <laughs> Rectify is just brilliant. It's slow. It's really slow. It's like, it's basically like beautiful molasses. Mm. That's a that's a horrible description. I don't know what does beautiful molasses look like. Really, Rectify is just like my favorite, one of my favorite shows ever, and I I had to have someone on it from it because yeah. all the actors on it are brilliant and it's like the most the most beautiful realistic portrayal of humanity that i've ever seen in a tv show other than maybe the leftovers uh, leftovers is much darker yeah so she, she she made it on there for me and i'm really amazed that you guessed that but yeah pretty good okay so we talked about julia louis dreyfus before i think we mostly covered that you had her number two yeah yeah <laughs> That is so great for me. And the country. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what I meant. She is this whole, she is the Tom Brady. She's like, if you built the Patriots, 
she's Tom Brady, basically. If you have the Patriots, <laughs> you have this perfect team, a perfect, like, so great coach. Cheat. Yeah, neither her nor Tom Brady cheat. Um, <laughs> so she, if you, it's this perfect, it's this perfect setup. And it's one of those things where, like, if you're not, a, if you're not the best actor, a perfect setup is a bad thing. Where if you are, like, they, the, the show is the sharpest wit with the best, most intense, cutting, burning vocabulary of any show I've ever watched. It's the most fast-paced and clean, like, top to bottom, the best, most dense and perfect 30 minutes of TV on TV, and I think. We're actually watching this in lieu of me catching up on Veep right now, and I'd probably rather be doing that. And by like, watching I watch, this, I mean recording this. Every Sunday night, I watch Veep, and then I watch Silicon Valley, and that's a horrible thing for Silicon Valley. It's like... A perfectly take, it's funny like, show that yeah, has no stakes. It's completely and... dwarfed. It's like when you're eating pancakes. If you have you ever have you ever eaten pancakes and also had chocolate milk with it? Like chocolate milk is like a, is a nice sweet thing, but if you take a bite of pancakes first, then you drink chocolate milk because it tastes bitter and disgusting. That's, that's what a, Silicon Valley that's is. That's a good to analogy. Be- I mean, my favorite <laughs> description of Silicon Valley is probably I saw this tweet on Sunday night when the show had just finished. I I hadn't watched it yet, but it doesn't really matter. The gang on Silicon Valley looked done for, but were saved at the end of the episode. Really looking forward to what happens next week. <laughs> <laughs> that is at Dave Lozo. There you go, Dave. You're listening. There's your tweet. He's got 70,000 Twitter followers. Look at him. Here's the thing. It's not easy to make a show so attractive and addictive when your entire premise is just the general cynicism and depravity of, of people. It's dark in a way that Sunny is dark as far as like people are relentlessly only looking out for themselves. And it's dark in a political way in the way that really in a way that House of Cards is and that everyone's just climbing to the top and they'll knock down any way, anyone in their way to get there. The epitome of that is Selena, is Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And the most amazing thing that she does is she's compelling and human and genuinely relatable. <laughs> That's the thing, though. That she's she is a person who has been so, and this is maybe we're reading too far into a very funny show, but the role that she's playing is someone who has been so calloused by her her upbringing and her political success that she does not easily or ever intentionally reveal any sort of humanity or emotion. And when it does happen, it's subtle and it's, it's and brilliant. it's very like the, the the scene I immediately think of is in the end of season five when she finds out that she lost the election to, to Buddy Garrity. She goes down and she's like just trying to be by herself in that room and then that tour group comes or whatever. Remember that? And they and the the lady from Kansas is obsessed with her and they like they clap for her and stuff. And she at first is like, oh ha ha like doing her little face thing and then it slowly turns into genuinely appreciating the approval of a bunch of tour visitors or whatever. Who like she it becomes so transparent that she needs this approval. And You're she right. Is. I mean, I think of the mom episode from last year where she tries to put on the front of how much she hates her mom but shows how much she desperately needs her approval. Yes. The episode where her and Tom end up doing it in the green room yes. with Gary watching <laughs> yes. or whatever. That one, they were kind of hiding their true intentions, but it was mm-hmm. pouring out through their acting. And Right. And then the same thing with the scene where she gets really angry I don't remember if it's the same episode, but the election results are like about to happen and she kind of loses it on her staff briefly. Yes. And it's in the episode where she confronts Tom James about him wanting to have sex with her, even though he's married in this season. And it comes out in last season when, when she finds out that she, one of the most, one of the best scenes on TV is when she finds out that she lost the election or lost the popular vote and then has to go give a eulogy for her mother who she doesn't care about. And she ends up crying because she lost the vote. 
And having <laughs> having all those layers in that one in that one eulogy is oh my god like it's so next level of comedy acting it's unbelievable. There's it's, a book there's a... that I think Matt Zoller cites a TV film critic wrote about Mad Men where he broke down each episode and wrote like full essays for each episode and made a whole book about it. And I think you could do the same thing with Veep. Yeah. You could write a, a full essay about every episode of Veep and it would be it's brilliant. So, it's so rich. And all that is to say that the show is unbelievably well cast and unbelievably well written. But it does, in a way, it is all put on the shoulders and it all is contingent upon Julia Lee Dreyfus being 100% the best actor on the show. And she is every single time. I think you can and, debate whether she is is giving the best performance for our lists here, but I don't think you can really debate whether she's... I think she's easily the best comic TV actress of, like, the last 20 years. I don't think it's ever, that close. Ever, who's a, who's a, who's? Oh, that's true. That's, I, I mean, maybe and, Ted Danson. I, I don't even... No. I, like you said, you haven't seen Cheers. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And I haven't seen The Wire. I don't know how funny that shit is. Uh, and obviously, she's number two on my list, so I think someone has a better performance. Wait, but while we're on Seinfeld, Larry David. <laughs> What's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That there's going to be a terrorist attack this weekend in L.A. we got to get out of here. Yeah, you got to yeah, get out of here. Actually, this is... <sighs> this weekend is a big... NRDC benefit that we've been working what? on for months, and what? Alanis Morissette is going to be there. I mean, I'm just, I'm thinking out loud. I just, what? Well, we call the terrorists and ask them, could they pick another weekend that's more suited for you? We'll postpone the benefit. Let's get out of here. Yeah, Larry, I, I just don't see how we can leave this weekend. I mean, this whole NRDC benefit was my idea. I talked the Browdies into having it at their house. Alanis Morissette is coming to sing. I mean, I, I just... I, I just know I can't leave town. Well, <clears throat> maybe, uh... You know, maybe I can... I can go. And, and where are you going to go? Could go golfing at uh, Pebble Beach. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a good idea? For yeah. us to be apart if something did happen? Then at least, you know, one of us would survive. It just seems like if we're going to go, we should go together. Well, not necessarily. Almost seems a little selfish that you would want both of us to perish so you'd be fine going on without me well it would be very difficult at first and sure but hopefully I could at some point get back some semblance of a life yeah, I yeah, watched. You haven't talked about him. Yes, I'm gonna, introdu- I'm gonna introduce my Larry David by talking about an episode of The Office. God's Tots. Have you seen that episode? I thought you were just gonna say he's pretty, 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 uh, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I'm feeling pretty good. Pretty, 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 Why? pretty good. 
there's a Scott's Tots episode of The Office, which is yeah. the episode where Michael promised a bunch of fourth graders that he would, if they graduate high school one day, that he would pay their college tuition. <laughs> and they end up graduating, and he has no money to pay it, and he has to confront them. And it's the most uncomfortable thing I've ever seen in my life. And that is paled in comparison to every single scene on Curb. Curb is the most uncomfortable show I've ever watched as far as cringe comedy goes. And it's all, and honestly, it is a compliment to Larry David that it is that bad. It is, first of all, the show is not written. It's, they do plot points. And then he just, he just kind of takes command of the room and they, That's just and everyone. So crazy. Which is so hard to imagine. Like, I can't even, like, we give, we give Steve Carell a bunch of credit for how much he improved in the office or whatever. But Larry David, the entire show is improv. Because if you didn't tell me that, if I thought Curb was written, I would tell you it's one of the best written shows ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And honestly, like we give, I mean, so we've been ta- we've talked about Seinfeld a bunch already, just from Julia Louis, and that was his show. Yeah. And he is brilliant. He creates things that we use in everyday conversation, like the stop and chat is from Curb Your Enthusiasm, and uh, Double Dipping I think is from Seinfeld. It's like yeah. he, as a as a as a writer and a, and a creator of shows, is is a genius. And then on top of that. This performance in, in, in Curb is the most like, this is the one character where, where I think, and every, the most everyday life situations, I think this is something Larry David would get himself into. Or this is something Larry David would react poorly to. That happens to me all the time. I, I, yeah. He's in my honorable mentions. I didn't put him in the top 10, mainly because I'm still in the fourth season of it. It's hard to do, man. <laughs> it, it kind of is. You talked about Seinfeld. I think what was always brilliant to me when I was a kid about Seinfeld is, the way that he would have like a plot, b plot, c plot right. tie up together in the end in like this really explosive, right. funny way. And yeah. what I've noticed through the first few seasons of Curb is he seems to—I mean, you mentioned it being improv, but they seem to at least do that with the large-scale like season plot in a way that right. they never would in Seinfeld. Yes. Where the third season's all about the restaurant opening, and the fourth season's all about mm-hmm. this Broadway show that he's going to be in. Yeah. And, and I have a Seinfeld reunion. I haven't seen how that one concludes yet, but like the, the conclusion of the restaurant season is literally the hardest I've ever laughed. I think in my life, right. I was sitting, I, I actually like no lie ended up on the floor. I was laughing so hard. I couldn't even, I couldn't even, it, it, the show yeah. is just great. I, I, I'm, I'm always excited to watch more of it as, as weird as, as weird of a show as it is to watch. It's, yeah. You talk about cringe comedy. It's up there. I mean, because the way he does it is it's he does he has every man reactions to things. He has like somebody cuts him in line or somebody honks at him or somebody does something that we would all get kind of mad at. And he just takes it to 40 more levels than, than it needs to go and makes it so uncomfortable for all of us. But it's like you're like, I'm kind of on your side, but I hate he the way that you're seems to be it. constantly fighting an impulse to like walk away. Like, yeah. just as a really specific, this isn't the best example of this, but I just watched the episode where his friend's dad dies and his friend wants to go to the Dodgers game and you, you find out he wants to go to the Dodgers game with his dead dad, so he just leaves the seat empty like, <laughs> for, like, emotional reasons. But he runs into him at the diner earlier in the episode and he has this thing where he, he'll he say something and then he'll start to walk away and he'll be like, uh, are you sure you don't need anybody to go to the game with? And then he'll start to yeah. walk away, and he'll like come back, and he'll start to walk away, and come back, and he'll he'll keep asking uh, and you're uh progressively more intrusive questions. Like that's kind of just what he does on the show. It's like when he disagrees with something that happens, he just takes it way too far, like right. <laughs> just to see what he can make change in the world. <laughs> He's brilliant. Yes. When does that show come back? 
I've not seen a single preview for it. Oh, September. All right, so Let's just see. like the Leftovers podcast, this is going to be like seven hours long. This is important. <laughs> I mean, this is important. This is this is like a time capsule. People are going to be able to go back and look at this forever. And plus, they know. If they're just in it to hear what our top ten was and get nothing else out of it, then they already know. True. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about Michael Scott. I drove my car into a lake. Let's talk about him. There are two reasons why he's not on my list. The turtles. Where are the Summer turtles? Sausage. Where are the turtles? Come on, guys, get out of here. Where are the turtles? Where are they? Okay. Uh, number one, I wanted to spite you because I knew it was gonna be number one for you. Yes. Uh, number two, I have, I still have only seen like fifty-three mm, percent of The Office, so <laughs> I, I was just like, I can't, I can't, in good faith, put him on here. Despite the fact that every time I've ever seen a scene with him in it, it's made me laugh. Okay, so we talk about Leslie going through that transformation in in Parks and Rec, and I don't think that anyone did this more naturally or more... Because in Parks and Rec, you can see it. It's manufactured. I mean, it's very good, and it's very smooth. That's what she said. She does an unbelievable job of, of going from pure annoying and energetic to just energetic and kind of annoying and really likable. You could argue Michael the transition it. that... Uh... Andy Samberg was never able to make on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. <laughs> He's the thing. That's it. That, I, I I would take that one step further, and I'd say that that's a trans- transition Andy Samberg has not been able to make in any facet of his life whatsoever. <laughs> if you don't like Andy Samberg as he is, you're not going to like him in anything that he's in. I just think, I, I don't want to get into this rabbit hole, but that's the difference <laughs> between these three shows is they're all just as funny as any of the other ones, but Samberg just can't carry a show like the other two can. Right. Right, I agree. Um, and the sporting cast in Brooklyn is amazing. Andre Brower. Yeah. Andre Brower, he's yeah. brilliant. He, he's really yeah. funny. Anyways, so The Office, it, he does this transition so slowly where it's probably not until beyond halfway through season three that you even start. I mean, if you're if you're a true human with empathy and stuff, you can kind of do it in the beginning. But you don't even really start to sympathize or understand or care about what happens to him until towards the end of season three, season four. Where season one, he is doing things to make you uncomfortable. Uh, basketball, he's picking Stanley just because he's black. Um, in the Christmas gift exchange, he's playing, he's forcing white elephant on everyone else when they got specific gifts for people and it makes everyone uncomfortable and hate him. And then the, when the merger happens, he's putting a really fat guy up on a table that can't climb and really he is so able to milk a scene where he is okay with silence, he's okay with time passing and he uses it to his advantage. It's clear that he does that he did improv and he does improv some of these things but i mean the writing is obviously very good too but that is what makes him sort of a, a comic genius i think is his ability to completely control the room to be just dumb enough to be a step behind everybody else's thought process but not too stupid to where it's it's annoying if that makes any sense he's just yeah. practically he's just practically an idiot and it and it 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 comes at everybody else's expense. That's part of what makes him a comic genius. He has incredible timing, incredible sense for, for humor, sense of humor, and for for it when he's acting this part. What makes him the best on this list, what makes it the best performance ever to me, is that he turns it into the most complex, sensitive, empathetic characters that we've ever had. He Tell the people how many he, times you've seen The Office. Uh, I've seen it all the way through 12 times probably 12 <laughs> like that. i mean i watched it i mean the thing is as each season would end i would for a while just buy the dvd and then watch it once or twice a month all the way through and then once i got netflix 
in like season six or something. I would just be watching all the way through. And then once it finished, it's just just done a bunch of cycles since then. I mean, I feel like the but, office is just a, the background for your life generally. Yeah, and that and I and I think that's a common thing. I think a lot of people. It's easy. It's the most like white noise safe show. Like if if you have friends over and you're not sure what they're like, you could put the office on. It's easy to pick up on and it's easy to understand and it's universally hilarious. What sets him apart from everyone else is that he ha- did put the show on his back. I do actually. I do vouch for the, the last two and a half seasons where he wasn't there i do think that they're good it's still good television but what he does for the show it's is set the up same. it's not the same that's fine but he what he said what he does is set up a culture and this will this will come out in our parks and rec versus the office argument where he makes the the small things and the ordinary things beautiful is kind of what the whole op was what the office is really about is like the ordinary is beautiful and it's it's good and it's mm interesting and entertaining and he does nothingness better than anybody else if that makes any sense if i were to take any character from any show and put them in a vacuum he would be the best one on his own i think outside of every other extenuating circumstance with larry david probably in a close second so that's why he's my number one there you have it well let's talk about andy daly (laughs) i'm really sorry uh you know when i first started here i believed in what we were doing now I'm not so sure. What? But there is uh, one thing I know. You're the biggest jag-off I've ever worked for. For us. And I hope this place uh, burns to the ground with you in it, because that is exactly what you deserve, you nickel and dime chicken <laughs> mother. Oh, boy. You call yourself a manager? You couldn't manage a ham sandwich. Okay, I am leaving here, and I am never coming back. Not if you beg me. Who's with me? I am. Oh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't let you talk about him earlier. I, I know. I could almost repeat everything you just said about Andy Daly in review because right. he somehow, like, he should be the most despicable character you can possibly imagine. Yeah. He ruins his family's life. He divorces his wife for the sake of the reality show that he's on. I mean, there's so many things that he does that are just that are just objectively yeah. damaging. Like, he, I'm not going to spoil the whole show because I know it's a little scene thing, but his performance on review is just I'm, <laughs> I don't it's, even know where to. It's so it's so different from everything. Like there there are little aspects of of Larry David's cringiness in it. And there are aspects of of even Michael Scott's like walking the line between sympathetic and completely ununderstandable of why he does things. But he makes it completely his own. He makes it totally. It's not even Andy Daly unique. It's Forrest McNeil. It's only it can only be Forrest McNeil as that performance, and that's that's what makes it amazing. And that's why I had him number one because I mean the show is brilliant and it's funny and it's sad. And it's really rewatchable. <laughs> and yeah. I've watched it amazingly so, so many yeah. times and it's so funny. But the show, as brilliant as it is, just would not work at all without him. Because without his commitment to the fictional review show that he's on, like yeah. without his like true commitment to it, the show just wouldn't make any sense. The things he does are for the show, quote unquote. And for right. some reason, his performance is so good 
that part of you is like, oh, I get why he would keep going with this. Like, it, it might not make right. sense to you, but you can tell why it makes sense to him. It's just so hard to explain how good he is. Part of what makes it amazing is that it reads as a two-dimensional kind of character. Your motivation is very clear. It's very one-dimensional. It's very straightforward. You, you're doing it just for the show, and you're going to take that to its most extreme. And then when the things get more extreme, you're going to get more extreme, and it's just for the show. It's that simple. And anyone else, especially on Comedy Central, that's going to be a terrible show. It's going to last like it's going to be like Silent Library or something, where it's a it's a gimmick, it's a novelty idea that lasts for one a half a season, and then people get tired of seeing weird stuff on TV. He makes it this like human, complex, very interesting story arc show. Well, because somehow what he brings out about it is not like. I need to be committed to this show so we can win awards for this show. Somehow what he brings out of it is almost a meditation on why what we do for our work is important and right. and why his work is important to the world and people's understanding of it. And it it's somehow like it sounds insane saying that out loud when I think of the first episode of that show, but right. it's like it really becomes that somehow. And the third season is only three episodes, but it's I could not think of a better way for this show to end specifically. And the way that it wraps up is so brilliant. And I just, his performance checks every box that I could possibly imagine of somehow balancing like, and when I say drama, I just mean like sort of that emotional connection, like balancing that with just how funny it is. Like, this guy has a background in improv for a long time, it sounds like, um, based off what I've read about him. And he, his comedic timing and ability to make anything funny is just ridiculous. Even as the main character of the show, like his laughs per minute, basically, is just unassailable. And I would kill to watch him do anything else. I mean, how many times have we texted? We talked about Silicon Valley earlier. He plays the... Like the doctor, the, the the doctor who makes fun of Richard. But how many times have we just complained that the greatest comic actor of our generation is just being wasted? Is relegated to the most <laughs> average show on TV. Oh, he, God, man, I could I could talk about Andy Daly forever. That performance is totally understandable, unimpeachable at number one. That is a really good one. Because we talk about these sad these sad com shows, and I don't think that it's it's fair to like boil them down to just being that, especially since. A show that makes you deeply sad on the inside, also being hilarious, is a pretty underrated thing. Yeah, and uh, it is a deeply sad show. It's so, <laughs> but sad. it's also like like I get so much joy and visceral, painful laughs watching that show. There's a, like there's one scene I'm thinking of in particular where you're watching the whole episode, thinking this is a mildly funny episode, and this one thing happens. And it made me want to vomit because I was laughing so hard. And it was so sudden and it was so strong. You're talking about the, you're talking about the space episode, right? The space episode, yeah. Yeah. I, and I, <laughs> I will say that as your friend, that is the hardest I think I've ever seen you laugh in person. It yeah. was the sort of punchline of that episode. <laughs> right. And, <it's, laughs> and it is sad. It's so sad. <laughs> right. And that's the thing where, like, it's, and that's kind of how life is where we talked about this in the, in the Lost Leftovers pod that you'll never hear. In Leftovers, we talk about how true, real life is funny even in our saddest moments and our darkest moments. This well, show I mean, takes that idea... Review is often unintentionally so, at least from Forrest's yes, perspective. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, like, it takes that idea and it puts it on its head of, we're going to take, take those sad moments and make them funny themselves. And 
you want to look away while you're laughing, but you're still laughing nonetheless. I mean, the divorce pancakes divorce episode is really the most perfect summation <laughs> of all divorce. that. Yeah, pancakes divorce pancakes. Um, <laughs> and from the last season, I always think of the cryogenically frozen segment. That's a perfect example of it. It's right. the oh god, just oh man. And it's any any and it's so interesting for a show that explores such dark themes with such a tr- truly troubled and disturbed character. At the end of it, you think he's still kind of innocent. He's just like an innocent, like not innocent as far as like not guilty, but he's innocent almost in his personality. He's naive still at the very end. And speaking of The Office, so- one of our most underrated villainous performances <laughs> of the century by a. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce it, James Urbaniak or whatever it is. Um, yeah. On review, he's Dwight's the producer. And yeah, he's Dwight's friend. I love it so much. This is, this, I'm proud of this list. I stand by it. Yeah, I think mine's correct. I feel bad leaving McLaughlin off, but the other ten are just so good. I'll run through it and we'll get the hell out of here. My ten is Bokeem Woodbine, Fargo. Nine, Walton Goggins, Justified. Eight, Amy Poehler, Parks and Rec. Seven, Julia Louis-Dreyfus Veep. Six, Carrie Coon, Leftovers. Five, Kyle McLaughlin, Twin Peaks. Four, Carrie Russell, The Americans. Three, Abigail Spencer, Rectify. Two, Brian Cranston, Breaking Bad. And one, Andy Daly, Review. Honorable mentions, Larry David, Mads Mikkelsen, Aiden Young, Matthew Reese. All right, I got Lois from Out from the Middles, 10. Leslie Nope is 9. Dale and Chip from Baskets, 8. Veronica Mars, 7. Force McNeil, Taylor's number one is my 6. Dennis Reynolds from Sunny, 5. Coach Eric Taylor, number four. Larry David, three. Selena is number two. And then Michael Scott's number one. And my extra honorable mentions are Titus Andromedon from Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, we talk about show. This is the biggest example of a show that I watch in desperate hopes that he's in every single scene. Yeah. And he's the funniest part of that show. Mad Men's Don Draper. I say that because I didn't really watch all of Mad Men. But what <laughs> I, what I, everything else I watch John Hammond, John Hamm looks like somebody who got hot all of a sudden in high school and forgot to not be nerdy. Like, he was just nerdy and he loved books one day and then got really attractive. He's, like, really awkward in uh, Bridesmaids and he looks like somebody who's trying to be cool. And so the fact that he is legitimately cool and really interesting in Mad Men is obviously a great performance. Yeah, Louis he's great. I, that's, that's one I probably should have had on here somewhere, but I just forgot about it. Yeah, he's I mean, just I forget, it's a, it's a it's just been a while. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, I also have Louis Anderson from Baskets, Rami Malek, from I, um, I just said I robot Mr. Robot. <laughs> I uh, thought about him a little bit. Uh, and then of course Dale Cooper, Kyle McLaughlin, uh, Russ Cole, gosh, I had a lot. Louie from Louie, Courtney <laughs> B. Vance, Martin Freeman from Fargo season one. Man, Dean so Pelton much, from Community. So much good stuff. Uh, Actually, Abed yeah. from Community would have been the person that I chose. I think. Yeah, he'd have been good. So much, so much. I mean, so we we covered it all. We've covered it all. We we got the We've best. We've seen list. every show. The only yeah. problem with your list is Forrest is too low, but That's we'll fair. live with it. Yeah, he's a he's six is pretty low. It's pretty high. This was great. We'll go home, watch Cheers and Bloodline season two and three, and we'll <laughs> get back to we'll get back on it. Yeah. If anybody made it to the end of this, congratulations. I don't have anything. I got nothing. This, is, this has been too long. <laughs> I got yes. nothing left. <laughs> we'll cut it down. We'll put Levi playing guitar over my voice right now. And he's playing. And he's playing. <laughs> and he's playing. <laughs> All right, bye. <laughs>
Foxworthy Podcast. The idea of eating twice the number of pancakes that laid me so low last time should have filled me with a sense of dread or fear, but I felt nothing. I greeted the prospect of all this pan-fried dough with only a vast, empty numbness. And then, from somewhere deep and previously unknown, there sprang a reserve of fortitude and courage. Or was it resignation? Or fatalism? Or nihilism? Perhaps I simply understood from the darkest corner of my soul that these pancakes couldn't kill me because I was already dead.